This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are back. We took the week off with New Year and the holidays and everything going on, Brendan and I both traveling, so thank you guys for letting us uh, take one brief respite from this podcast, but we are back. Brendan, it's it's a new year. Baseball is still locked out, but we are in 2022. The calendar has flipped, which means if they can get those negotiations back underway and finalized, we're nearing the corner of baseball. We are. We have. Now, if they do finalize this, which does not appear likely, but assuming pitchers and catchers do report on time, like we're kind of smooth sailing through the rest of the off season. The the lull in November, October, December, you know, that's behind us. Like we're closer to next season than we are from last season. So I don't know, a little bit of optimism, but we'll see what happens with these negotiations. A little bit of optimism sort of uh, with the caveat <laughs> that I don't even think the two sides have begun speaking again. No, they're not, they're not talking yet. <laughs> so <laughs> technically we're close to when baseball should be coming back. But yes, it's it's a listen. It's a new year. I'm trying to be more optimistic. You know. Yeah, we'll see how long so that lasts sad. for you. Probably one more. Yeah. Day. Right. Uh, notorious optimist Brendan Miller over here. Yes, Me so too. Not not like I'm not in that group. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we we do of course always have stuff to talk about. Uh, we'll talk a little bit. Uh, Ken Rosenthal touched on some of the Correa discussions with the Cubs. Not necessarily new information, but hearing it from someone like Ken Rosenthal is interesting. Uh, we will also touch on Ken Rosenthal's uh, departure from the MLB Network as it relates to Commissioner Rob Manfred. That was sort of an in- interesting development on Monday afternoon. Uh, and then we'll take a look at some thought. There was a, a discussion on Tuesday about the Cubs maybe mirroring something that the Red Sox did in the 2012 offseason before they won the World Series in 2013 in terms of signing a bunch of guys to short-term deals. That was also, I think, brought about by Ken Rosenthal. So it's a Ken Rosenthal-centric podcast, I guess. But Brendan, where I want to start first is uh, to wish a couple of former Cubs a happy birthday on this January 4th. Um, One of them is Christopher Lee Bryant, uh, who, of course, needs no introduction on this podcast, uh, former Rookie of the Year, many-time All-Star, MVP, and World Series champion with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, The other, a name I don't think we talk about enough on this podcast, and I think you and I both really liked him. Of course I liked him because he was a left-handed starting pitcher, which, you know, is obviously just kind of my type, right? Um, but just a, a beautiful, beautiful curveball put together a 17-win season for the Chicago Cubs in 2008, and that would be none other than Ted Lilly, Brendan. Happy Ted birthday Lilly. to Chris Bryant and Ted Lilly. So that that was the uh, the random little tidbit you were telling me about. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah, Ted Lilly's curveball, man. Like, one of the best, I think, in a Cubs uniform. Now, I will say, talking about being optimistic, I... When I think of Ted Lilly, sometimes I can't help myself, but I was at that Arizona Diamondback game where he threw his glove Me down. Me too. But you, you were yeah. as well. Where were you sitting during that game? Uh, first baseline. Okay. So I was like uh, third base side, like second deck. When that happened, I went to the concourse area. I didn't come back for like four innings. I was so, so yeah. upset. 
Uh, anyway, I bring that up just because like that competitiveness that he had. Looking back at that era, that 2008 era with you know Big Z, Loop Nella, those were a lot of like ultra competitive yeah. guys, and I. I feel as if I did not appreciate that at the time. And I'm going through now with this lockout, some of those highlights from that era. A lot of good memories, man, that I don't that I don't remind myself of often enough. Yeah, I think because of the way 2007 and 2008 end in the playoffs, um, yeah. 2007, like you were talking about, the, the sweep against the Diamondbacks, 2008, the sweep against the Dodgers, like we kind of put those in the in the back of our brain those seasons a little bit even though there's just some you know really incredible moments throughout both of those seasons like the Aramis Ramirez walk off against the Brewers gets brought up all the time like of course there's some moments yeah. that do uh, stick I think in the collective memory but in general like there's a lot more than that those were really fun seasons that ultimately just had a a very you know kind of at the time typical Cubs ending. I do think it's funny that it's really, I think, emblematic of you and I, and maybe Cubs fans in general, that it, it the, the conversation started with wishing Ted Lilly and Chris Bryan a happy birthday, and it took you like 30 seconds to talk about <laughs> a time when you were miserable related to Ted well, Lilly. As, as I was thinking about that, I'm like, oh my gosh, Corey's yeah, going to yell like at me mere seconds. Up. Like, yeah, oh, I, I, I remember Ted Lilly. Here's a time I was really miserable. <laughs> yeah. That's what I remember the most. That's why I'm a pathetic yeah. person half the time. No, I mean, I, I was I would have gotten there eventually. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, I just thought, you know, obviously we've talked about Chris Bryant a lot. I don't think we need to delve too much into him. He's a free agent, could maybe find his way back to Chicago, though I don't really expect mm-hmm. that. Um, but I think we've uh, spoken enough about how great Chris Bryant is and was for the Chicago Cubs that we don't necessarily need to do it again, uh, even though there's always time for that. But Ted Lilly, we don't really talk about. Um, You know, started with the Cubs in 2007, a 3.8 war season. Uh, If you're looking at fan graphs in 07, 2.9 in 2008, and then 3.7 again in 2009. Like some really good seasons for the Chicago Cubs there. Like I said, he won 17 games for the Cubs in 2008 when they won the division. Um, yeah, he was quite the hitter too. He had a beautiful mm-hmm. swing. He, I, I think he, <laughs> he maybe laid the foundation for John Lester being my my favorite player of all time. You know, no, but seriously though, that because like. I remember so many of his at-bats and just like his facial reaction. He was so competitive. Yeah, well, he got like, into like, that. Uh, that spat in in the dugout in Toronto right before he oh, came yes, over to the Cubs. He yeah, he uh, a, a very high energy team. I think um, you know it, it would have been interesting to watch Wilson Contreras catch Ted Lilly. Like that would have been a very oh, high sure. energy or, battery. And if the umpire Umbrano, were man. not giving them the calls that day, it would have been interesting to try to deal with the two of them at once. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking I, I brought this up just you know a few days ago. Even like Wilson Contreras and, and Big C, if something like you know that John Lackey Wilson Contreras scenario back in 2015, yeah. if Big Z were on the mound, like John Lackey kind of held back a little bit, Carlos is going to like kill someone. And Wilson's going to be right there with him doing it. So that that would have been a crazy battery to witness in modern times. They may have intimidated the umpire into giving them the correct strike zone. I like that. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, just wanted to start with that. It's an interesting note. A couple guys sharing a birthday here uh, as we recorded this on Tuesday, January 4th. And always appreciate a, a good excuse to reminisce about Ted Lilly for a second in those uh, 07, 08 
Cubs teams. But let's get into uh, the current state of things. I I guess let's just start with Ken Rosenthal getting dumped from the MLB network because I think we can touch on that. It relates to the lockout a little bit, and then we can move into some of the free agent stuff that that Ken Rosenthal was talking about on Tuesday. Um, But, you know, the the long and short of it is that Ken Rosenthal has been at the MLB Network for a long time. He's obviously one of, if not the number one, uh, I think, recognized and respected reporter for Major League Baseball. And he was let go uh, seemingly because he was critical of Rob Manfred and, and some of the stuff that, that Rob Manfred had done. Like, not to get into like the absolute minutia of, of everything that Ken said and all this other stuff, but boy, is this a bad look. Brendan. I mean, this is just terrible. Like, you don't even have to like Ken Rosenthal, but a really widely respected and well-known reporter for the league being let go from the network uh, because he had criticized um, the commissioner is a terrible, terrible look for the game, let alone if you want to get into what it just says about like Manfred's priorities and the state of the league and all that other stuff. But this is this was a an interesting development on Monday, and it's not a good one. It's disappointing though, because you know Ken Rosenthal in, in our fandom lives, he he's the guy, right? When Ken tweets any rumor, maybe it's just me, but his his reports hold the highest validity of anyone else, right? And so when he when he's on MLB Network, which of course is ran by Major League Baseball, that's good for everyone involved. It's good for the fans. It's good for the league. It's good for the owners. And so when you see someone like that pushed away, in my mind, you're it's it's a net negative. Like you're not only pushing away Ken, but you're pushing away eyes from the sport. Like like that's my biggest problem. Also, he's really well respected by his colleagues. So you're not only putting bad will into Ken Rosenthal's mind, but all the colleagues with whom he works. And most of those, his close colleagues, are also very respected. So you're you're adding to this very toxic ill will environment in a time that baseball can't afford negative press. We need more eyes on the sport. And we have a lockout. We're not talking about any type of, you know, frequent player rumors we can't even go on mlb.com to look at highlights like this is this is bad and i'm not we'll see what the effects are of this in forthcoming years but you know when you take away such a huge chunk of activity online and and on tv that has to be bad for the sport and I'm, I'm I'm concerned about this. Yeah, so it sounds, uh, and the report was coming from Andrew Marchand, and he sort of pointed out that it seems like they, things really boiled over in the 2020 uh, season in those negotiations with the league and the Players Association to get that COVID season in and all of that stuff. And Rosenthal had had some critiques of, of the league and of Manfred, and it kind of boiled over then. I guess Rosenthal was suspended at the time. Um, and then, you know, uh, it ultimately 
ends on on Monday with them, you know, sort of cutting ties. Wait, he was suspended? Did you know this? I didn't uh, no, know. No, so I'm 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 okay. reading this uh, uh, over at BleacherNation.com, and uh, you know, Brett says that it's nobody noticed because everything was going on with the pandemic and the negotiations. <laughs> and stuff, I, so nobody I had noticed no idea. That. Yeah. yeah. So. It, look, it's all just to say, like, you you just don't want a situation where the league runs a TV network that stifles dissent, right? Like, mm-hmm. if anything, like, why do they even care about people coming at the commissioner, right? Like, if anything, you would want them to have kind of a, like, well, if they're, you know, mad at me, who cares, right? Like, it's distracting from other issues and and this and that. Like, sure, they can be mad at the commissioner. Who cares, right? But when you start, like, cutting ties with people like Ken Rosenthal because you don't like the way that they're talking about the commissioner, it's just, it's, it's a bad sign. And especially with where the game is right now, as you alluded to, Brennan, like we're in the middle of a lockout. Like they're negotiating huge factors that will affect the league, the players, the fans, the owners for years to come. And this is the type of stuff that, you know, you're, you're reading about the commissioner. It doesn't like, I don't think most of us had a lot of faith in Rob Manfred, if any, before this, but like, this is really just not, not good. It's, it's a, it's at, at minimum, a terrible look and more than that, you know, potentially a sign that, you know, of the way that Manfred runs things and, and anyone that yeah. dare, you know, criticize him and the way he goes about things is potentially looking at, you know, having their job taken out from under them. So Ken said that uh, the original memo that you and I discussed, I believe about four or five weeks ago, where Manfred basically blasted the Players Association. And I posed a question to you. Why did he put this out? Like, what is the intention for him to do that? And like, I don't think you and I understood it whatsoever. And so Ken Rosenthal uh, said today that Manfred did that to spur negotiations, that he thought it would put pressure on the players to, to negotiate and likewise get both parties together. That obviously did not work because they're not talking now. They did not talk even after that. It did not work. So we already have a very recent example of Manfred trying to do something with with media and you know social media that's backfiring, and that's been bad. So what are the effects now that you let go of screen time from Ken Rosenthal? If history is going to repeat itself in the immediacy, then it's probably not going to be good again. And if this is a mindset that he's operating under, man, like how can you be optimistic, right? Like I don't think there's going to be, a, I mean, I don't even know at this point. Maybe there will be a lockout, Corey. Like, like what is signaling? You mean missed games? We're already in a lockout. Yeah, I mean missed games. Like at the very least, he did say, Ken did say that, you know, the owners don't appear to be stressing and emphasizing spring training. Like they'll go into spring training if they need to. And that that is like, oh, for me, I, I hate that because I, I love spring training. Right. But that's the mindset they're already thinking is we may be missing baseball games. And if it's a little bit of spring training, then maybe it becomes a few more weeks and maybe it becomes, you know what? We can afford to take two weeks off in April. And I thought that would never come to reality, but... Maybe I'm just maybe I was too optimistic back then. Maybe this is actually a possibility that I haven't really thought about. Yeah, well, and I it's a good point that you bring up where 
you know, that's that's kind of the thing. Like now it's it's January of 2022. Like typically pitchers and catchers report around the middle of February, like a little after like Valentine's Day, like the 15th or 16th, something like that. So and they come even beforehand, like a few, you know, a week or two early sometimes. Right. So. Yes. Jason Hayward's usually in the cage working on now. his swing by now, actually. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like you're you're only a month and a half ish out from starting to miss significant dates and like maybe pitchers and catchers reporting and that like kind of first wave of content from spring training is only particularly exciting to people like us and I would assume if you're like if you're listening to this podcast I would assume you get a little excited like when pitchers and catchers report and like uh, like last year, like seeing guys show up and that first batch of content from at Cubs and stuff oh, like dude, that. That's right? like my that's like my favorite content of the yeah, year. Yeah, like so seeing like those guys for the first time. Maybe it's not everybody that is super into that. Like you know, maybe the casual fan doesn't care, but you are kind of rapidly approaching dates where people do look forward to this stuff and it may be inconsequential to like the bottom line to delay pitchers and catchers reporting or to miss a couple of exhibition games in the spring right it maybe isn't that big of a deal but to a, a large handful of people it is something they look forward to it is a part of the game of baseball that they interact with that they look forward to interacting with and you you are getting closer to the danger of like taking Taking that away. So I, I, as you mentioned, like when you first, when we first talked about this and you were like, there's no way they're going to miss games. Like they're not that stupid. They're not that that. greedy. And I said, like, I think that they are. I'm not sure why you're so optimistic. Like, I don't even think they're, they've begun to renegotiate yet. And they're not talking. No. And, and so (laughs) I don't know how, like, what are they doing? What are you doing? Why are you not talking? Like, like, I have no what idea. What is going on here? I, I really don't. I maybe they needed a break to kind of like catch their catch their breath, get their heads together. It's been like I don't know. Four but, weeks, man. How many more weeks do you need to take off? Like, let's go get to the table. Uh, it's it's a great question, and and you know that's already removing the fact that we're now what a few weeks into not having the free agency discussion, not having trade discussion, all of that stuff that kind of keeps us going during the winter. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty perilous spot that they're in and just tying it all together. Like obviously Ken Rosenthal's departure from the MLB network doesn't like necessarily, uh, relate directly to this, but it is just one of those things where like, it just adds to everybody's criticism and distrust and, and I think overall dislike yeah, that's what it is. of yeah. Rob Manfred. And you just look at like the amount of rule changes that he's explored and implemented and been so adamant about that I think a lot of people that really care about the game of baseball either didn't like or didn't care about at all. Um, you look at the, the work stoppage they're in now, you look at just a lot of the issues and the way that, that Manfred has even talked about the game. You remember his comment calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal the one time, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just sort of adds to this pile of like, they're, they're, how could anybody think that the game is in the best hands when it's in Rob Manfred's hands? And I know like usually right. nobody likes commissioners, right? But this is just it's it's not good it's just another thing where you're like man this guy sucks 
it, it, it does not inspire confidence. I mean, over the past, he's been the commissioner now for, what, seven years, I believe? I think since 2014, or maybe a little bit sooner than that. I, I forget. But there never seems to be a coherent plan. Like, he's flipped from rules changes, you know, speeding up the game, to maybe trying to implement more betting and maybe not emphasizing game uh, game time anymore to now the the media backfires to the covid mishandling you know i i think all tied together it's not just one individual part although if you're a fan you might be consumed with one of his particular shortcomings but it's the giant sum of what he's done or not has done and that's not inspiring confidence. And so that's like like losing Ken to MLB Network. Maybe it doesn't have a significant of an effect in you know at the end of all of this, but it suggests that what's going on in Rob Manfred's mind, in his commissioner's office, the people he surrounds himself with, that operation is not functioning, and that's concerning. And he does represent. I know the owners, but there has to be some leeway here. I also remember, too, when he was being interviewed by, I think it was ESPN or Baseball Tonight, right at the onset of the pandemic in 2020, just jogging my memory. The the, the emphasis was, you know, the owners are going to be losing so much money. But then you're thinking about, you know, some of those players and some of those fringe minor league players and all that stuff. It's like... You know what are we like? What are we doing here? Like, is this is this the guy who's truly going to lead the sport in an environment, a media environment that's rapidly changing? Like, you're so unaware of how you're being perceived and how the sport's being perceived. And for you and I, Corey, like, we're going to be watching these games in ten years, twenty years, hopefully thirty plus years. I, I like he's not going to be the commissioner then. The owners are likely not going to be owning their same teams then. But it seems to be that there's not really a strategy to make the game uh, healthy to less for that long period of time. And I think that that should be concerning for everyone. And it's just time and time again, he keeps showing examples of this lack of awareness, Corey. Yeah, and I, I think just sort of wrapping it up, like the long and short of it to me is that he has put such a particular emphasis on things that can make the game more entertaining for like a casual fan, right? Well, you know what's really not entertaining for a casual fan? Hearing people bickering about the league being in a lockout and conversations between the league office and the players association. Like I promise you, people that weren't watching a baseball game in the middle of June uh, before this are definitely not interested by what is going on right now. And obviously you can't control the fact that you had these conversations a couple of years ago to set up the COVID season. Like obviously that was unique situation, but that doesn't change the fact that this is now the second labor related sort of situation and, and ongoing yeah. negotiation that you've had publicly in the last couple of years. Like, it's just not like, I, I'm not an expert on how to bring fans in because I'm not a casual fan, but this type of stuff is not it. And the, the commissioner getting into fights with reporters because they don't like what they said about them is also not going to help. So 
getting into now some of the stuff that Ken Rosenthal, uh, who is still a reporter, whether or not he's a part of the MLB network or not, uh, he still does report things. And just wanted to touch on what he said about the Carlos Correa situation. And to to sum it up, um, he was on the Athletic Baseball Show podcast, and basically he said what I think a lot of us had speculated, but again, the reason we want to bring it up is because it's a, another person, A, giving some legitimacy to the discussions and the fact that the Cubs are even involved, and it's just interesting to hear it from Ken. And, and basically what he said was that he he does expect the Cubs to try to work something that is shorter term, that has more opt-outs, things like that. But kind of like a lot of us have speculated, he doesn't ultimately see that working because Correa is going to get the long-term deal with the big money, with the options uh, from somebody else. And unless there's, you know, some sort of overwhelming desire to just be a cub, which nobody seems to have the sense of, somebody else is going to win that bidding war, right? And and Rosenthal also goes on to say, like, does not expect the Cubs to be in that position where they're as aggressive as can possibly be, and that they, you know, likely have, as we've heard from the front office, you know, that they don't want to go 10 years, they have some sort of limit on what they're looking at. So, um, I just think it's it's interesting, you know, again, lends a little bit of, of credence to the fact that the Cubs are indeed interested and involved, so that's good to hear, but reiterating, like, probably not going to be the ultimate bid winner if it does come down to that. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, and, you know, Ken is connected very well. A lot of the Cubs' Korea connections have also been spurred by recent reports by Bruce uh, Levine. So trying to connect the dots, we have Bruce, who's suggesting the Cubs and Korea may be willing to sign a shorter deal for seven years, maybe an opt-out after the second year, where you guarantee Korea money, but you give him the flexibility to make more money in two years, that seemed to be like a very valid report where Bruce is going to even Houston radio and discussing that. Then Ken talks today about, yes, it seems likely in his opinion and based, of course, with whom he talks, that Correa is going to get 10 years. It's just a certainty given what Corey Seager got with his 10-year, $330 million or whatever it was, 313 It seems like that's the expected outcome. And he also did not exclude the Cubs from the team being the one to give that contract. It just suggests, and he quoted Patrick Mooney, Zahad of Sharma, it appears the Cubs are more intent on short-term contracts. And we, we knew that. But I still think there's a possibility that they may just say, let's build this next team, the next couple teams around Korea and maybe they are willing to give out 10 years. But the other tidbit that really caught my attention in addition to those were he expects Correa to get opt-outs even within a 10-year deal. And that 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 was a little surprising to me just because I assumed if you're going to offer someone stability for a decade and offer, you know, almost half a billion dollars, I I would I would have imagined that the opt-outs are not going to be offered. That, but if that's the case, 
wow, like creates an, an enormous deal and set a, a precedence for other superstars that might be unsettling for a lot of uh, front offices in the future. So it's going to be, you know, once this lockout ends, it's going to be like a whirlwind, but it does add validity that the Cubs and Correa is a real connection. Yeah. Now, is it seven years in opt-outs or 10 years in opt-outs? I think we prefer shorter timelines, but I prefer Correa on the Cubs. So whatever it takes, I feel as if, you know, the Cubs are in position to do it. It's just a matter of Jed wants to commit that long-term and maybe sacrifice flexibility by giving Correa 10 years. Right. It, it When you put all of it together, all the reports we've heard, all the speculation, it really does seem like a couple things are clear, right? One is that the Cubs are actually seriously involved. And two, it's going to come down to whether or not the Cubs want to waver on their position of not going a certain length, right? Having some sort of limit on what they're willing to do because Correa is going to get that offer and would probably take that in preference to whatever the Cubs were doing. So that's not something we can answer in the immediate. That's you, you got to wait for the lockout and then Jed's going to have a decision to make. It it sort of reminds me in a way of just thinking of the, of the, the core's departure at the trade deadline and like Rizzo's contract, for example. Like when you look back at that, like Jed clearly had a threshold for what he was willing to do. Anthony declined and that was it, right? Now, where you look at now, in terms of a baseball perspective only, right, the baseball value, excluding Anthony's value to the franchise in the city, as we've talked about a bunch, it would appear that Jed is going to be proven correct in this offseason. I don't think anybody expects Anthony to get that amount of years or that amount of money from anyone in this particular offseason. The five-year, 70 million, right? right? So yeah. in in a, a an like fiscal economic perspective, Jed had a threshold and it appears that he was correct in, in that threshold. The parallel to Correa is is similar, right? Jed as as a front office member, as someone who has only been in charge of a team for a year basically now and, and kind of forging his own path here, he is allowed to have a a point where he says, this does not make sense to me any longer. As we talked about, the the caveat with that is then you're not going to get the player. So he's going to have to weigh, am I willing to sort of compromise on what I believe is correct here with, we're not going to get this star shortstop. We're still going to have this vacuum at this position, and it may be a, a tougher position to address going forward here until years down the road when guys like Christian Hernandez and Preciado, et cetera, Ed Howard, are potentially ready to overtake that position. It's hard to say what the right answer is, Brendan. I think both of our preference is to go for Correa. He's a star. He's 27 years old. We've laid out the case for him not being a move that only affects 2022 or something like that. But that's the decision that that Jed is going to have to make. He's going to have to weigh, here's my line and I'm not willing to cross it with, okay, fine, but you're not going to get the player. Because that, that much seems clear that they're not going to be able to get a kind of compromise deal like they did with Marcus Stroman with Carlos Correa. Somebody is going to give him the contract that he wants 
that's the expectation. Right. Yeah, right? there's no guarantee, but but you're getting that sense from a lot of people in the league. So I I would assume that there's some sort of smoke there that's leading to that. Right. So that's that's one of those things we're we're gonna have to see uh, what comes of this lockout. And then as we talked about, Brennan, like if they don't get Correa. Do they pivot? Do they just sort of throw their hands up and say, "Yeah, well, we were interested, but nothing else really interests us." So, 2022 is maybe more of a punt. Um, or, and I guess we can transition to this now, as Ken Rosenthal suggested, do they look to do something like the 2012 Red Sox did going into 2013, and that was sign as a lot of guys to short-term deals and hope that it works out. And in the case of those particular Red Sox, it really worked out. Yeah, with the, the Red Sox, if you look at what they did in that 2012-2013 offseason, they spent about $100 million in free agent signings and also giving David Ortiz a, a brief extension. And those Deals ranged from one-year contracts to three-year contracts, and they signed in total seven different guys. And those seven different players netted the Red Sox almost 30 wins above replacement. So who were those guys? It was Shane Victorino, Ryan Dempster, Johnny Gomes, David Ross, Stephen Drew, Mike Napoli, Koji Uehara, and again, David Ortiz. And the most expensive of that bunch was Victorino, three years, 39 mil. So they evenly spaced apart this money. But Victorino got significant playing time. Dempster was a, a starting pitcher and transitioned to the bullpen that year. He was a staple in that um, particular team. And then Johnny Gomes, he was a playoff hero. David Ross, he caught the final outs to win that World Series. Steven Drew was your shortstop for $10 million on that one-year contract. Mike Napoli, who's now with the Cubs as a coach, big power guy. And then Uihara was the one who was the closer to secure that World Series. So it does remind you of the Cubs' current financial situation, where presumably you may have around like 80-ish million dollars to spend remaining if you want and even if they don't you know if you want to spend around 40 to 50 million there are guys on the market that kind of fit that mold and as an example maybe that's Trevor Story maybe that's on a smaller scale Jonathan VR or Andrelton Simmons for the outfield on shorter term contracts that could be like Jock Peterson again Andrew McCutcheon's a free agent although he's older Kyle Schwarber is still out there. Eddie Rosario, who had a good postseason with the Braves, is still there. So this is this is all to say that in the absence of a Correa signing, there's money that can be spent. And the names I just listed, they might be open to those three-year deals or shorter. And if they are, we do have a precedence of success being the 2013 Red Sox, who operated under the same mindset and those acquisitions led to a World Series championship, which there are there is a degree of randomness, not saying the Cubs can win the World Series next year by doing the same strategy, but you do give yourself the possibility where that randomness falls into your favor. Right. So 2012, the Red Sox finished last in the AL East. They only won 69 games. Next year, they win the World Series, right? So yeah. as you just said, Brennan, it, it's not one of those things where you're like, oh, the Cubs can do that. Like, I'm expecting them to win the World Series. But it, it does, tying it all in with Correa too, like that's the thing that is most interesting to me and most important to me. If you don't get Correa, if you say, look, 
10 years is too long. We've done the math. We've done all the future projections and calculations. We just don't like it, right? Okay, fine. I don't necessarily agree, but okay, fine. As long as there's some sort of backup plan that feels significant, right? And I think there will be. I really do think there will be. Mm -hmm. There's so many guys on his free agent list that I like, like Jorge Soler, right? Like I'm not saying let's go sign Jorge Soler, but I would be surprised if he gets more than three years, right? Like those are the guys that I'm talking about. And maybe it makes sense to even entertain bringing Soler back. Right. I think the, the overall kind of point here is that there is a way to... We, we've seen it executed before where a team can put a competitive team on the field, not not you know discounting the fact that the Red Sox won the World Series, but just the baseline that they were a good team after finishing in last. You can do that with what the Cubs want to do, which is short-term guys that don't blow up your prospect timeline and muddy the waters of the financials for when you expect to have those prospects ready and maybe be more interested in building a juggernaut type of team where you want that money off the books so you can address that at the time more appropriately and within that context of what's going on with the organization at that time. It has been done before. It's been done recently, and the Cubs have the money to do it. Uh, Unfortunate that uh, someone like Kyle Seeger ends up retiring. It did sound like there was some mutual, uh, you know, potential interest, or at least interest from the Cubs. Uh, but he chose to retire. Obviously, that's that's his choice. All the best to him. Um, but that would have been a fit. That would have been a guy who you would have thought, okay, I bet he gets a short term deal, and he's the type of player that's you know not going to to blow up the bank. But he can be a productive, interesting contributor uh, to this team as one of the guys you would kind of add. But there's there's still a lot of names out there, and I think that's that's going to be the key for me. You don't have to go get Correa, right? You don't have to, but I I I want them to deliver on. I think they will on that I word. I no, I and and I think so. I'm really only uh, even hesitating to believe that just because I, I do want to at least acknowledge the the potential, right, for them to say, look, we wanted Correa, but the terms weren't there. So that's kind of that's kind of it. Like we're kind of throwing yeah. our hands in. I don't think they're going to do that. I, I think that Jed has some sort of plan here. Um, but I, you know, we're in the middle of a lockout. Nothing's going on. So we can't rule anything out. The Stephen Matz negotiations that we got details about following his signing with the Cardinals. The, the Cubs were willing to go three years with Steven Matz, and they went three years with Stroman. So the three years with Matz, way more volatile than the three years with Stroman. But because they were willing to go three years with Matz, to me, signals that could be their their timeline of in terms of their willingness to give out money for that amount of time. And it kind of lines up if you think about it. In the best case scenario, they're soon to graduate prospects, the Brennan Davises. They're going to be pre arbitration I mean, we'll see with the new CBA, but if, in case something doesn't drastically change, they're going to be pre arbitration for the next three to five seasons, the, the majority of these guys in the system right now. So you do have some wiggle room, not for 2022, but for 2023 and 2024, that you are more willing to take those risks, to give out more money. And if that's the case, then I think Schwarber fits those discussions. Soler might fit those discussions. Even Castellanos 
might fit that type of criteria. Maybe he wants more than three years. But if the Cubs come at him and say, hey, here's you know, $25 million for the next you know, three years per season or whatever. I don't know even if he's interested in that. That might be a scenario that makes sense for everyone involved. So just when you're talking about timeline, I was just reminded of Matt's. They were willing to go three years in Steven Matt's. And if that's the case, they're more than likely like willing to go three years and many position players as well once this lockout ends and Correa is maybe off the table. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I I think again they're they're going to be able to do it. As we noted before, the tricky thing when you get into kind of trying to get those guys on short-term deals and stuff is that on short-term deals, players end up having a lot of options, right? So it's not as easy as saying, "Hey, we'd like these four or five guys and we think that makes our team really kind of interesting and competitive." You got to convince them to come here. And the Cubs have the, you know, the the ballpark, they have the history, they have everything to convince people. They have the money, of course. And they have like the money. They got, yes. They, they got strong uh, But ultimately, to do it, so. you know, that's kind of the the tricky part of it. And and I I bring up Kyle Seeger because that's just one example. He decided to retire right? Like sometimes best laid plans, uh, you know, you need two sides to be in on that. So that's, uh, yeah, the, the, the takeaway, I think, bringing it full circle is just that this has been executed before and even setting your sights shorter than winning the World Series like the 2013 Red Sox, I think there's very clearly a path with the remaining free agents, with trade candidates, with the money the Cubs have available to putting an interesting team on the field in 2022, especially with what they already have kind of in place. I mean, they have to do it at the end of the day. Like it it has to be done. I think when we were reflecting on the core being traded, um, there were a lot of uncertainties at the time. And even dating back to the Darvish trade uh, last last December, it, there were a lot of uncertainties in our mind. Like There are scenarios where it works out and the trades make sense, but the prospects have to hit, they have to mature, the, these free agent signings have to be executed, and the players coming back from trades, even with those core trades being made, they have to progress. And so far, when you reflect on what's happened over the last 14 months, the Darvish prospects have matured. They've progressed. The prospects we got back from the core trades have also looked pretty good, better than maybe some expectations. Jed has made some pretty good free agent signings in the short term, and they've graduated some guys they made some smaller term deals like with you know Wisdom and Schwindel and Ortega and the bullpen has progressed. A lot of dominoes have fallen in the Cubs' favor that we did not think about 14 months ago. And those dominoes, I think, you know, going back from 14 months ago, low probability, but they have worked out so far. And because of that, now I think we are in position to succeed faster than expected. And when you look in hindsight, those moves, what Jed has done, has been advantageous. And maybe he had higher confidence in those deals being successful than we did. But in the current moment, I think you do have to give Jed some, some credit and also trust that once this lockout does end, if Correa is not signed, given what he's done lately, it seems more probable that he's going to continue to spend money within that realm. And I think that also has a high potential to be giving the Cubs a competitive team for next year. 
Yeah, I I think that's well said. I think that's a good kind of wrap-up of the situation. As it stands, uh, we will not get any answers to that anytime soon. The league and the Players Association need to start speaking to one another again and then ultimately iron out these issues. I, I sincerely hope they're able to do it before we start missing dates, Brendan. It's just, as we talked about, not good not a good look, not good for the league, not good for fans. Uh, and you, you don't want to be pushing out any of the hardcore fans that, you know, you still have left, let alone, you know, trying to appeal to casual fans. But you better not start pissing off a lot of your hardcore fans any further than you already have. So, you know, baseball is lucky, though, that they, they like the current baseball player social media pr- uh presence i feel as if has it's, it's grown over the last two years where you have darvish who's very popular stroman's great on twitter they're lucky that they have these figures in place because baseball twitter in terms of baseball players on twitter four or five years ago maybe i'm wrong here Corey, but i don't remember it being like this right like i feel like they're more uh conversational you have ian hap's podcast right. you have all these different media outlets now baseball is so fortunate that their players are going and being heard and in the spotlight without any resources from Major League Baseball themselves. They are lucky that they have that. And I, I think, at least for, for me, it's nice to log on. You see Stroman throwing in uh, like an indoor basketball court during the winter. Like It's good that we still get at least a little bit of content. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to say, like, Ian Happ, pretty much in when the, you know, pandemic hit and everything shut down, he essentially set out to, like, how can I keep people entertained uh, in pretty much any way possible, basically. So, yeah, they, they, they are fortunate that there is... Uh, a lot of player activity to kind of keep people engaged and involved and and interested but it's it's still like so weird man like I I, as as we were talking I I went to the MLB website to look up uh, a video of of Ted Lilly and they they disabled like the video search like it's just what do you mean you can't search for videos at all unless I'm doing this wrong but I've done it a thousand times they have that like video search database and you cannot search the way that you used to be able to you used to be able to type in like Javi Baez Cubs or something like that and it would give you a million different things they updated it I think in in the last off season to the point where you could like really hyper define your search and it's just gone yeah it's I mean it's I'm like it how awful is that you know like I, I get where they are I get how labor disputes work but this is just they got to figure this out because this is not this is not a good spot and uh, yeah it's it's bad so I mean what can fans do though right like you can't do anything about this like clearly the you know the commissioner's office is not handling this well right this is a bad idea i think that's pretty unanimous among fans so like there's nothing we can do about it though this is the most frustrating part yeah like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna boycott baseball because i i don't i don't care well who no the they, they know they have people like you and i in a I in a vice grip like they don't care what we think about it i know yeah well maybe we're, maybe we're the problem Corey. Yeah, I guess. Um, But yeah, I'm not going to change it anytime soon, I don't think. Um, So yeah, I think that that's what we have for you. Uh, We will, of course, uh, if anything breaks imminently, we'll jump back on here. 
uh, and get back to you know doing this more frequently. But for now, we're going to stick to once a week as the league is in a lockout, and we, we you know we can only give you guys so many uh, different framings of a potential Carlos Correa contract and uh, negotiation. So um, we'll we'll keep it at that. But as always, thank you guys for listening. As we enter a new year, we're always very thankful for your guys' support of the Cubs related podcast and hopefully sooner rather than later we are gearing up uh for another season of Cubs baseball rather than you know sort of mired in this uh muck of rumors and lack of player videos and substance from the league itself so thank you guys as always for listening we will talk to you next week and as always go Cubs